Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. I want to talk to you today about the word incline, incline, developing a listening ear for the Holy Spirit's anointing and power in your life. Everybody say incline, incline. So when we were in the U.S., one of the things that the Lord spoke to us is that when we come back to the Philippines, that we're not just to take a leadership role for ourselves again, but that we are to get up underneath Filipinos and hold up their arms. Amen? See, we didn't come to the Philippines to build a big ministry or to build a name for ourselves. We came to the Philippines because Jesus changed us and we know what he can do and we know that he loves the Philippines and that God wants to move in power and great revival and awakening. If some of you have never heard me share before, then you wouldn't know that in 1998, my wife and I moved to Pensacola, Florida because of a revival that took place there. Has anybody here ever heard of the Brownsville Revival or the Pensacola Revival? It's, it's been a long time, okay, since that time. It lasted from 1995 to the year 2000. During that time, the church had services every day. Every Friday night for five years, they would water baptize people. Sometimes 40, 50, 60 people every Friday night for five years. The church sat about 2,500 people and when every morning there would be a line that would form in front of the church. And so sometimes People would travel from other nations and other parts of America, and they would come to the church, to the revival, not knowing what to expect, and they would even sleep on the sidewalk so that they could get into the building the next morning. (laughs) And, And people would come and wait all day in the hot Florida sun from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. until the doors of the church would open. How many of you know that's hunger? That's being thirsty for God. See, if we want a move of God, then we have to let God move us. (laughs) And when people cry out to God and say, Lord, change my heart, You know, move me into a posture of seeking your face, of of listening to your voice. 
I don't want to just know about you, God. I want to know you. And that's what people did. And in five years, four and a half million people came through the doors of that church. Many people would come totally unsaved and run to the altar. You'd see three, four hundred people every night of the revival running forward to give their life to Jesus. I saw people who were drug addicts get completely set free. I knew people that were 40 years an alcoholic and they came to the doors of that church, responded to an altar call and immediately set free. And then they went through the Bible school and God sent them around to the nations. I have a friend named Daniel Kalenda. You may have heard of his name. He has taken over the evangelistic responsibility of a famous evangelist named Reinhard Bonnke. Daniel and I went to school together, but yet God raised him up to take on that responsibility. What am I saying is that in revival, God pours out his spirit upon all flesh. And people who are hungry for God, they get from God what they're searching for. But one of the greatest things that I had to learn during that revival is how to incline, how to put my ear to the door of heaven and listen to the voice of God. I believe we're in a season, and this church is specifically in a season where this building is not going to handle all of the people that God's going to bring. I, and, and you may need to plant other churches. You may need to, you know, buy more property. You may need to build more buildings, but how many of you know that it's worth it? You know, we can't take anything with us to heaven that we gain in this life. The only thing that we could take with us to heaven are souls. And if we'll spend our lives in a posture of prayer and seeking the face of God and listening to his voice, then God will do things in our lives to affect the eternity in the lives of other people. But we have to be willing to lay everything down and say, it's not about me, Jesus, it's all about you. Let me give you a definition of the word inclined from the dictionary. It means to bend your body forward, to bow. It means to, to stoop or to bend or to have influence, to persuade the direction in which you're going. Three words stand out to me there. Bow, bend, persuade. You see, disciples of Jesus understand that inclining your life, right? Bowing, bending, being persuaded by God, is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time event. It's not just something we do on Sunday. It's something that we do every day of the week. 
It's something that we have to train ourselves to be godly, right? When, when, a, when a baby is born, do you have to train them to do wrong or train them to do right? <laughs> you have to train them to do right because they're born into sin. And that's why when they come out of the womb, what's the first thing that they do? Ah, I'm hungry. Change my diaper. I'm awake <laughs> when you want to sleep. <laughs> but you have to train up your child. You have to teach them how to feed themselves. You have to equip them to learn how to be responsible, how to walk, how to talk. And then we have to teach them the word of God. We got to model for them what it means to be men and women of prayer. We have to raise them up in such a way that we don't give them to the pastor and say, please fix my children. No, my kids, my wife and I, know it is our responsibility that God has given us these children not only to feed them and to clothe them, to educate them, but to make sure that they're spiritually right with God. See, I don't want my kids to serve God when they're in their 20s or 30s. I want them to serve God from here. Amen? Why not? Do you remember King Josiah? How old was he when he became king of Israel? Eight years old. Think about that. What can God do if parents would have faith that he could raise up your son and daughter and be a prophet to the nations? I believe that's what God's calling us to do. But we will never find out what God's will is in our generation if we do not learn how to incline our ears to God. When disciples of Christ incline themselves before the Lord, they bow their heads to God in prayer, they bend their knees to God's authority, and they persuade their feet to do God's service. You see in Proverbs 22, verses 17 through 19, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, it says, Incline, say incline again. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply them in your heart to my knowledge. For it is pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. God is teaching us in the book of Proverbs, which is a book about wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge applied. And so when we accept that Jesus is Lord, that's knowledge. But when we believe and act upon that knowledge, we tell somebody else that Jesus is Lord. That's knowledge applied. 
We believe what we're taught and we put it in the practice. If you hear your pastor talk about giving, tithing, offering, whatever he might share, and you hear it week after week, but you don't put it into practice, it's not helping you just to hear it. You have to put it in the practice if you want the blessing of the Lord, amen. If you're hearing your leaders say, we have a house of prayer and we want you to serve in a house of prayer so that we can believe for revival for Panabo City and Deval del Norte and, and Mindanao and the Philippines. But then you have, uh, you have all these people who come Sunday morning, but you only have a few people in the house of prayer. It tells me and it speaks to God where we value things. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm simply saying that Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. If we become a house of prayer, we will see revival, we will see awakening, and we will see Filipinos go to the nations, amen. Many Christians, we want to see the power of God. Yet until we incline ourselves before God, we will not know how to demonstrate his power. While it is equally important for you personally to learn how to incline your ear to God, it is also important that you develop the skill of hearing God for other people. In Acts 6, 1 through 7, we're going to go read that. It's only seven verses I want to read. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop. So in Acts chapter 2, what happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out in the upper room. And 120 people were there. How many people saw Jesus rise from the dead? The scripture tells us over 500. So over 500 people saw Jesus rise from the dead, but only 120 people were in the upper room. You know what that tells me? Is that even if people see the dead raise, unless they apply what God's telling them to do, it won't change them. And so 120 people are in the upper room. They do not know what to expect. They're only there because Jesus said, you must go to Jerusalem. And Jesus rented a venue for them called the upper room. And they're all sitting in there, probably talking about the things that they've seen and heard and you know, wow, this is just amazing. And then they probably began just praying and worshiping. And as they're worshiping, what does God say that he does when we worship him? He inhabits the praises of his people. And as we lift up his name, he comes. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. 
And the believers begin to speak in tongues. And it says cloven tongues of fire are resting on the top of each one of their heads. It had to be a spectacular thing to see. Amen? And then, as they're experiencing this power, they start to feel this urgency. This urgency to preach the gospel. Because, see, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about just having nice, warm feelings. <laughs> the baptism in the Holy Spirit is about being a witness for Jesus. And in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you, say you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You know what the word for witnesses is in the Greek? It means martyr. People who give their life for the gospel. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my martyrs. Ooh, that changes the meaning of that verse a little bit. Because Pentecostals and Charismatics love to talk about the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah! Right? But Jesus was talking about laying your life down for the gospel. Now, I don't believe everybody's going to be a martyr. But I believe this is that we should not love our lives so much when we surrender our life to Jesus. See, when we receive Jesus into our heart, it's not that we're adding Jesus into our life to make it a better life. No, we are surrendering our life to Jesus and we say like Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. I lay my life down. Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you'll lose it for my sake. This whole idea of just, dear Jesus, I accept you into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Amen. And now I go to church and I stand up, I sit down, I give money, I wear Christian t-shirts. Maybe I have a fish on my car, right? That is not... Book of Acts Christianity. Book of Acts Christianity is lay everything down, drop everything, and follow Jesus. No matter what the cost, no matter what the price. It means if you have a business, that you put Jesus first before your business. That means if you have a family, you put Jesus first before your family. Oh, it's getting quiet. But I thought we wanted revival and awakening. <laughs> you see, revival is not when a bunch of people are all together in the same room. Revival is when people say, I can't live another day without Jesus. I must have Jesus in my life. He must be Lord of everything that I say and I do and I think. I must be a radical for Jesus. Amen. 
You see, my friend, I believe that when revival comes, it's going to be in response to people surrendering to God. To people saying, I want to be a part of that house of prayer. I want to know God's will and plan for my life, for my family. I want to do whatever it takes to get the gospel around the world. Let's read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So now the Holy Spirit's poured out. All kinds of miracles are taking place. And thousands of people have been born again. And now with all of this growth... They need leaders, kind of like where your church is today. You're going to install new officers, new leaders. Listen, in those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, that means Greek-speaking Jews. How many of you know the gospel is to the Jew first? Right? Now, God wanted the gospel for everybody, but his plan of redemption was to go to Israel first. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So everybody to this point who is born again is Jewish because the Holy Spirit has not yet been poured out upon the Gentiles. And thank God it was poured out on the Gentiles or we wouldn't be here this morning. So disciples are increased. The Hellenistic Jews, among them complained to the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So in this great revival, people were meeting in house to house and going to the temple they were sharing and had all things in common. But that was amongst the Hebraic Jews. So when the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, the gospel was for them as well, but they were being overlooked as kind of like beneath, right, the Hebraic Jews. And, and so they were challenging this. They said, hey, we're Jews as well. And our widows are getting overlooked. So the 12, the apostles, gathered all the disciples together. They gathered everybody together. And they said, it would not be right for us to neglect, say neglect, the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables or to feed people, right? Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, the responsibility of feeding, so that we can give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. You know you have a great leader when they're men and women of prayer. Amen. It doesn't matter how charismatic. It doesn't matter how guapo they are. It doesn't matter how successful they are. It matters, are they people of prayer? 
And I know your pastors to be leaders of prayer. And the fact that there's more leaders that are being installed in this church means that this is a praying church and that's why it's multiplying. Number, verse five. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen. Who was Stephen? Does anybody know? He was the first martyr of the church. And when Stephen was martyred, there was a guy named Silas who became Paul the apostle who was affected by Stephen's life. So listen, you might not be a pastor. You might not be a worship leader. Nobody might know your name. But if you serve God in the capacity of what he has called you to do, your witness, your laying down your life for the gospel might be seen by somebody else that could become another Paul the apostle. You and I have to stop looking at the platform and thinking that's who only God uses and understand that the purpose of the platform leaders is not to be your superhero, but it is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It pleased the whole group. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Perminas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then what happened? The word of God spread. How many of you want the word of God to spread? Amen. See, in my mind right now, I can picture this ministry spreading all throughout Mindanao. I could see you raising up pastors and leaders and missionaries going to other parts of Mindanao, to other islands of the Philippines. I could see some of you going to work with uh, our brothers and our sisters in Japan and Cambodia and Thailand and China. Amen. I believe that's what God's calling us to do. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of even priests came to the Lord. Wouldn't that be awesome to see a bunch of Catholic priests get born again in the Philippines? Wow, that would change things. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, I'm going to give you what's called an acronym. You know what an acronym is? An acronym is when you take a word and you take the letters of a word and you give a meaning be, be for each letter, okay? So I'm going to take the word incline and give you an acronym. So if you want to write things down, you can. And I'm going to give you several words here. Number one, impact. The letter I, impact. 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 Disciples who humble themselves before God impact the needs around them. You see, this is what was happening. The Spirit was moving, the disciples were increasing, and they were feeding and meeting needs. Some needs got overlooked. But because they wanted to make an impact, they came together 
and decided we have to do something else in order to make the maximum impact that we can. Listen, maybe you're a teacher at a school in town. Maybe you're a police officer. Maybe you're a doctor, or a lawyer. Maybe you're a Jeep driver, a, a, a taxi driver, a, whatever. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. The fact is that every single one of us are called to make disciples. To fulfill the Great Commission. That may, means each of us can make an impact. Each of us can make an impact to our neighbors. And if God calls you to something bigger, to overseas somewhere or another part of the Philippines, he will prepare you for it. But the way that he prepares us is us being faithful for, with what God has given us where we are now. Amen. Letter N. Navigate. Churches that multiply... Navigate in prayer before designating new leaders. This is what Jesus did. He prayed all night who he was to choose to be his apostles. Now the apostles, the 12 apostles are in a posture where they have to choose several new men to help them in the daily distribution of food and becoming leaders. We would probably refer to them as deacons, okay? And as they're, uh, as they're taking on this new role of responsibility, they're navigating in prayer. They're saying, God, speak to us. I'm sure that your pastors have prayed about the new officers being installed today. God, are these the right people that you're calling? And if it is, Lord, we want to test them and see if they're ready to serve the Lord. What does it mean to navigate? Well, I don't know if you use it much here, but... How many of you are familiar with like Google Maps or Waze, GPS, right? That is what we use or maybe just a map we use to navigate where God is telling us or where the GPS is telling us to go. And when we pray, prayer is our GPS that navigates us to know how to build the church that Jesus is responsible for. Amen. Look, your pastors have responsibility, but it's not their church. It's his church. And people who pray recognize that it's not about us, it's about you. And that's why God blesses them. That's why God meets their needs. That's why God expands their vision. That's why some of your lives have been impacted because they prayed and navigated by the Holy Ghost to find you. And whether you came here because somebody invited you or you met Pastor Brendo outside or his family and, and whatever the reason is, the fact is, friend, that a church that prays sees the power of the gospel. The next one is C. We have impact, navigate, C for choose. Choose. C-H-O-O-S-E. God chooses 
New leaders based upon Holy Spirit grace, wisdom, and character. God chooses people based upon Holy Spirit grace, character, and wisdom. You see, when the disciples, the apostles said, we need to find men who are full of the Holy Spirit, men who are men of character, men who are men of wisdom to help us lead in this distribution of food, they did not want anybody to just represent them. Look, when you understand that Jesus gave his life so that you and I can have life and that he calls us to lay down our life so that others would find life in Christ, then you will not just let anybody become your representative. Amen? See, Paul says that when we become born again, that when we become saved from our sin and Jesus becomes Lord, that we become Christ's ambassadors. You are an ambassador as soon as you're born again. But if you want to become a leader, you have to be responsible. You have to learn how to pray in the spirit. You have to learn how to let the word of God guide you in every decision that you make. You have to work, learn how to walk in agreement with your marriage. You have to learn how to raise your children in the fear of the Lord and the love of the Father. You have to learn how to spend your money according to the kingdom of God. You have to learn how to use your time, your talents, your gifts, all of these things that you allow God to rule and control and guide you in your life is what prepares you and I for leadership. Paul gave qualifications for leadership in the book of Timothy and Titus. And he says, if, a, if somebody desires to be an elder or a deacon, he says they desire a good thing. And here's some of the responsibilities. They must be the husband of but one wife. How many of you know husbands that one wife is enough? Amen? And wives, you know the same, right? <laughs> that one husband is enough. But why is he saying that? So we would not be divided. So we would not be perverted. So that we would be dedicated to our spouse. Because when a husband and wife work together in agreement and become a, a, a family of prayer, those kids will be mentored by the best mentors they can ever have. You see, in our families... We don't come to church to get Jesus. We bring Jesus with us to church. Amen. And so as we're growing in the knowledge of the Lord and being responsible, not being drunkards anymore, not wasting time, not, not doing things that the world does, then God is preparing us for leadership. Amen. Letter L, limitless. Possibilities are limitless. That means there's no limit. They're limitless when sons and daughters become mothers and fathers. 
You see, your identity, there's so much talk today in the church about knowing your identity in Christ. Amen? And when we're born again, we have to see ourselves as his sons and daughters. We're no longer slaves anymore to sin. Amen? But now we're sons and daughters. But as you mature in the Lord, you become a father, a mother, a mentor. You become responsible for others. And see, this is where the church has to move out from just staying in a, in a place of just sonship into becoming fathers and mothers. How many of you are parents already? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Wow. A lot of you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's a great responsibility when you get married. And then when you have children, we have five children. How many of you have more than five children? Anybody? You? How many? Six. Okay, you won the prize today. Hey, didn't God say be fruitful and multiply? <laughs> Amen? Is that true? It is. But you know why we laugh? Because we say, I don't know if I could have another one. <laughs> but here's the deal. If you meet a mother and a father that has many children, oftentimes they become very disciplined. They become very faithful because they have to use what they have in order to make the family work. You see, God's use of family is the greatest school of ministry that you could ever be a part of. Because you learn responsibility. Sometimes students go to a Bible school. I know because we have a Bible school. And they go to school and maybe they pay a little their, their fees and stuff like that. But they don't feel the weight of responsibility like the students who come to our school that have children. Because it costs them something more to be there. Time away. It costs them money that they could use for their family. But they feel like God's called them to go to our school. You see... If you want to become a leader in the kingdom of heaven, in the church of Jesus Christ, you have to grow in maturity from sonship into fathering, into mothering. And everybody here has the capability of being a father and a mother. Amen? That's the way God designed us. And even if somebody could not physically have children, let me encourage you today that you can have spiritual sons and daughters. Amen. And I believe that God still heals and opens up wombs that have been closed. I've seen people have children that could not have children. It's possible. Never give up hope. Amen. Innovative. Revelation becomes innovative when leaders focus on God's word and prayer. 
So what's going to happen is, as your pastors are raising up leaders, they're going to devote themselves more to the God's word, to prayer, and to discipling those leaders who will in turn help disciple you. And as they focus on the word and prayer, they will have innovative ideas that God will give them to transform this region. Because we, Paul said that we need a spirit of revelation and wisdom and the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And vision is so important to help us to know where we're headed and what we're called to do. But how many of you know, they've had a vision for over 20 years. And that's why they have what they have. But I'm going to say this. Every vision needs revision. Because with that new vision, God will build off of the vision that he's given you. And he will extend and enlarge the tent, your, the cords of your tent. So that you will go to the left and go to the right. That you will go north, south, east, and west in Jesus' name. I declare that this church, that this body will go all directions of Mindanao. That you will find airplanes and tickets and bus tickets and you will have opportunities and open doors that God will open up to you because you have dedicated yourself to be his witness in Jesus' name. And necessary. As necessary leaders are chosen, anticipation for revival will sustain the church. The ones that God is raising up. If you're a leader today, you, everybody in this room is necessary. Amen? But if you're a leader in this room today that is being raised up and is going to have hands laid on you and you're going to be commissioned, I want to tell you something. You have a new responsibility that's coming on your shoulders. And it's not just from your pastor, it's from the Lord. And this responsibility is going to call you to a deeper place of intimacy with God. But it's necessary. Why? Because if you have leaders that are seeking the face of God, they're going to encourage you to seek the face of God. And didn't, didn't God say in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Oftentimes, when we quote that scripture, we're quoting it in the context of prayer. But it's not only prayer, because in order to get people to pray, you have to raise up leaders who will help make disciples to teach you how to pray. But as the church matures, when we pray in agreement, our prayers have a totally different effect. I believe that God listens to the prayers of all of us, but when there's a spirit of unity, that's when God especially is attracted to answering prayer. Last word, effective. Effective service 
always comes from churches who function as a house of prayer. You know, can I come down here? Is that okay? I won't mess up the sound or nothing? Okay. You know, we quote that scripture. We want to do the things that Jesus did and even greater, right? When we quote that scripture, oftentimes we're talking about miracles. We're talking about healing, right? But here's the deal. 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from a dead. And ever since then, what has Jesus been doing? He's been praying. He's been in a posture of praying. He's been inclining his ear. He's been listening to the Father. He's been listening to your prayer. And he's been agreeing with us. If we want to do the things that Jesus did, we also want to do the things that Jesus is doing. And before Jesus left, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That means if we are going to do the things that Jesus did and even greater, then we need to have the prayer life that Jesus has. Amen. Jesus prays 24-7. You ever hear of Smith Wigglesworth? He was a great healing evangelist. He was uh, in the early 1900s. He was known to heal the sick, to raise the dead. He was known to work all kinds of miracles. They called him the apostle of faith. Incredible man of God. Smith Wigglesworth was a mentor to a guy named Lester Summerall. Lester Summerall started a church in Manila called what? Does anybody know? Cathedral of Praise. Cathedral of Praise has gone all over the Philippines. But Smith Wigglesworth once said, somebody asked him, they said, how much do you pray? And he says, I never pray more than a half hour, and I never go a half hour without praying. <laughs> I never pray more than a half hour, and I never go a half hour without praying. What is he saying? You, he's saying pray always. He's saying that maybe your prayer time cannot always be in a closet, but you can commune with God throughout the day. And so becoming a house of prayer is learning how to give your time to God no matter where you are. So if you're doing laundry, right? And you're doing dishes, you know what I did driving here this morning from Deval? Fire of God. Right? Whatever you do, be consumed. You know, our God is an all-consuming fire. And if he takes up residence on the inside of you, you're going to burn for Jesus. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. 
please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.